Hey everyone, you're listening to an Acts Church Sermon. If you have not heard of us before, you can check us out at www.axcamus.org or come check us out on a Sunday. Alright, here is the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. We're leaving. You are now sitting in this place for the last time. Unless you go to school here, um, then you've got to come back. You can't say, Pastor David said, we didn't no, you've got to come back. Um, but we are leaving. Uh, starting next week, we are going to be at the West Campus. And we're going to be outside next week. We're going to do a big uh, potluck. Um, that's potluck. Some of you, when I say pot, I know Northwest how some of you are. Potluck. Okay. Um, and basically, look, bring, bring some meat, uh, bring some drinks, bring some sides, bring some food. Uh, come, bring your family. We're going to hang out. Uh, if you have, like, horseshoes or cornhole or, or we have a volleyball net, we're going to hang out. We're going to play. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit. We're going just, to just spend some time on the property. And then the 14th, that next week, we'll actually go into the building. It's not going to be totally done yet, but it's ours. And we'll be able to, to be in there worshiping that next week. So this next week... Please let people know who didn't show up today, who you know didn't show up today, um, and we'll try to do that too, but we don't want people showing up here and finding out that we're not here. Uh, we will be there at the West Campus. If you need directions, anything like that, you can email Susan during the week and she'll get that back to you. So um, we might even, we have a bounce house over there, so we might even pull out the bounce house for Terry and Marie, um, <laughs> because I know that's no high heels in the bounce house, okay? Um, we really do have a bounce house, it's, uh, so we'll probably bring that out. It's just going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time for us as a family to just hang out. We need to do that more, and we've got, I think, one or two baptisms that we haven't done, so we may, may throw that in, too. Uh, we'll see how that goes, so uh, I hope you guys can be there. I hope you guys are happy. They're doing stuff. They're tearing stuff up. They're, we're, we're moving. We're moving at the church, and uh, it's going to be different than it was when you get in there on the 14th, and it's just going to keep getting different as we move forward over the next month. So let's get to preaching. Oh, wait, one more thing. Goodness gracious. For those of you who for the last three years or so have been showing up at church early, for many of you that's 7.30 or earlier, towing the trailer over here, putting these chairs out, putting that curtain up, putting this up, putting that up, putting all the kids' stuff up, doing all the stuff that goes on here, all this music stuff, everything has to be set up. And we build a church every week in this place. For those of you who have faithfully volunteered, for those of you who have given of your time for the life groups that have come and done this, for those of you who have poured your heart and soul into making sure that we had a place to worship and a place to welcome people from this community who need to know Jesus Christ, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. You are, you are a blessing to us. Uh, and the Lord has worked through you, and it, it shows that it, even something as simple as putting pipes together to put a drape up is part of what we can do to make sure that people can come in here and hear the gospel, and that's, and that's something that you've been, you've been adding to and doing. So I thank you, and I fire you. We're not, we don't, you're fired. No, you're, you're let go. We're moving on. We're going in a different direction. Um, you don't have to get up so early anymore, so this is going to be great. <clears throat> so when I was about 18 years old, I 
finally became totally self-sufficient. I was, as far as I can tell, the smartest, best-looking, most successful man ever. That's where I was at 18 years old. I had, I had grown up in a home where my parents were serious Christ followers. They had taught me a lot, and I considered myself a Christian. I had attended church my whole life. I had volunteered. I'd gone to youth camp a hundred times. I even had memorized several Michael W. Smith songs. So I won't sing them for you now, um, but yes, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to. No. Um, but at around about 18, I realized that I had pretty much figured it out. Uh, I knew what needed to be done, um, and I was confident and self-sufficient. Uh, one of the reasons I valued self-sufficiency was because while I was attending church, I was also living in the world. And the mantra of the world was, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever bootstraps are. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? It was, just do it, or believe in yourself. Those were sort of the mantras of the world, and I did believe in myself. And the more I thought about myself, the less I thought of God. I went on like this for some time, believing in myself more and more, and thinking that I needed God less and less. And my attitude was this way, and I walked in the way of the world. I did what I wanted. I did what was right in my own eyes, because I had it figured out, right? I, I just did me. I just did me, right? And I justified all my behavior, whatever I was doing, because I was so smart, and I could justify anything. And I may tell you more of this story later. It gets bad. But there came a time when God intervened in all that. And I will praise him eternally for rescuing me from my so-called self-sufficiency. But over time, God showed me in no uncertain terms a few things. He showed me that I did not have it all figured out. He showed me that I was not self-sufficient. He showed me that without him, I could do nothing. And he showed me that my life was leading to death. That this self-sufficient, prideful life was leading to death. Now, we are studying Jesus, the Messiah's, Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is going to lay out how we as Christ followers are separate from the world. Jesus is going to show us the power and the strength of God's kingdom versus the weak and dying ways of the world. That's what he's going to highlight for us. For many of us, we have bought into the lies of the world. We've bought into them. For many of us, we have accepted the MO of the world. If you don't know what, the, what an MO is, it stands for modus operandi, which is a Latin phrase. It just means way of operating in Latin. Google defines it this way. It says, a particular way or method of doing something, especially one that is characteristic or well-established. Now, the world has a well-established particular way of doing things. There is nothing new under the sun, and it has been this way forever. And we don't have to learn that MO that way of doing things in school, and we don't have to learn it from our parents. We just pick it up. We pick it up, right? You probably don't remember learning how to talk. Most of you don't remember learning how to talk. You just picked it up. You just picked it up, right? You started with dada, 
right? Da, 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 da. And they're like, oh, he's saying da, da. Like, no, he's just going da, 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 da. But I thought they were saying da, da. Then, it, then the next word usually is mine or no, right? And eventually you get to anti-disestablishmentarianism, right? That's, that's kind of how it works. Uh, we, just, we just move on. We, we, we learn more and more. You just catch it. You catch it like a cold. It just happens. Unless you had a particular type of speech issue that needed work on that, you just started talking a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, some more than others. And the MO of the world is picked up in the same way. You just catch it. You just catch it. We like to boil ideas down to statements that are pithy and that sort of stick with us, right? Like, there's no use crying over spilled milk. I don't know who's actually crying over spilled milk, but he should get beat up um, because he shouldn't cry. But, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned. Also, not true, but you get it. Or he who laughs, laugh, laughs last probably didn't get the joke, right? Um, there are many sayings. There are many social rules and other ways that make up our MO that we just pick up. You just pick them up, right? Like, the reason you didn't come to church in your underwear today, I mean, hopefully you're wearing underwear, but I mean, not just your underwear, and the reason you're probably not picking your nose in front of everybody right now is because you figured it out, right? You picked it up. I, hopefully, some of you, your mom had to say, stop picking your nose. I, I understand that my brother still has issues with that since he's not here. Um, but, but you pick it up. You pick up the rules. You figure it out, okay? And you figure those things out the same way you figure a few other things out, right? These social rules, these norms, these pithy things, all these things come in to make up our MO. And they're the reason that we don't act like crazy people or, or whatever, but they're also the reason why we hate our enemies. And they're also the reason why we value wealth too much. And they're also the reason why we think we are or think we should be self-sufficient. And they're the reason that we justify all kinds of things because in our country or in our state, those things are legal. So they must be okay, the MO of the world. Or because everyone else is doing this, it must be okay, the MO of the world. We just catch it. We just catch it. Jesus is going to show us that for the Christ follower, Jesus Christ's commands are our way. His commands are our way. And they are different than the MO of the world. Early in the history of the church, Christ followers referred to as the way. That's how they were referred to early on when the church was beginning. They called them the way. That's what you would have been called because, oh, he's part of the way. She's part of the way. The reason that they did that is because they had a different MO. Their way was different. Their way was Jesus. Their way to salvation was Jesus. Their way to act was Jesus' commands. Their way of living was based on Jesus. Their power in their life was in the Holy Spirit. They were a different way, different MO, different way of doing things than the world's way, even a different way of doing things than the way of other religious people, even the religious people from whom they had come out. This series is called Right Side Up, and it's called Right Side Up for a reason. Jesus is going to show us that the world's MO is upside down. It's upside down. It's not just a little off. It's upside down. And the MO of the kingdom of heaven is right side up. So let's read some scripture. Get into it here. We're in Matthew 5, if you have your Bible. 
We're going to read verses 1 through 3. It says this, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first section of the Sermon on the Mount is commonly called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, which really just means blessed. That's what it means. And what does it mean to be blessed? It's something different than being happy. It's something different than feeling good. It means something different. This is D.A. Carson who wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he said. He said, although some modern translations, he's talking out of the Bible, prefer happy to blessed. So some people will say, happy are the poor in spirit. You may have a translation that says that. And this is what he says. He says, it is a poor exchange. Those who are blessed will generally be profoundly happy. But blessedness cannot be reduced to happiness. In the scriptures, man can bless God and God can bless man. This gives us a clue. Just what is meant to be blessed means to be approved, to find approval. When man blesses God, he is approving God. He is praising God. Of course, God doesn't need our praise, but it's right that we should praise him. When God blesses man, he is approving man. Since this is God's universe, there can be no higher blessing than to be approved by God. We must ask ourselves whose blessing we diligently seek. If God's blessing means more to us than the approval of loved ones, no matter how cherished, or of colleagues, no matter how influential, then the Beatitudes will speak to us very personally and deeply. The question we have to ask ourselves, every one of us, every day, the question we have to ask ourselves is whose approval do we seek? Whose approval do we seek? You've got to be honest with yourself about this. We seek the approval of people or of ourselves, or do we seek God's approval? Do we seek God's approval? Because that's what it means to be blessed by God. If we seek God's approval, Jesus speaks and tells us just what that looks like. Just what it looks like to be blessed by God. Just what it looks like to be approved by God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about this for a second. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we, you and me, can be blessed by God, the King, the creator of the universe. God. There are billions of people on this planet. There are billions of stars in the galaxy. There are galaxies and planets and amazing things and animals and and all the things that God's created. And you, sitting in that seat or wherever you are listening to this, you can be blessed by God. That's an amazing thing. If you don't see it as amazing, you don't understand who God is. You don't understand how powerful he is. You don't understand how amazing he is and how righteous he is and how perfect he is and how all-knowing he is. You don't understand any of that if you don't understand what, in, what a mind-bending thing it is to realize that we can be blessed by God. Now, I'm going to tell you a problem that I have. I often think about heaven as a different existence, a different existence. Uh, people use the word afterlife. A lot of people use the word afterlife to refer to heaven or to whatever thing they think happens after you die. And I sometimes think of heaven as a life We will live after this life is over. We have this earthly life, then comes a different life. But that's not accurate. 
That's not how it really works. There is life and death in terms of our body, but, but listen closely. Your new life started or will start when you follow Jesus Christ. That's the new life. When you come to Christ, the new life has started. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus is teaching us here how to live the new life now, not later, not only in heaven, not in some far-off concept of heaven far away and I've got the diaper and the harp and the cloud. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, right now, you can live as a new and eternal person right now. Yes, your body may die. If you don't get raptured, your body's going to die. It's going to go away. But it's not a new life. Your new life already started. You'll get a new body. Same spirit. Same spirit. You will be you in heaven. Not some different you. You will be you. Your perfection in Christ will be completed at that time. But that perfection is part of a process that is already happening now. You are being made for heaven, stitch by stitch, right now, if you're in Christ. Right now, today, stitch by stitch. Not later, not I'm going to do the best I can, and, and then when I get to heaven, it's all going to change. It's all going to be, no, no, no. That's just a progression. You're just seeing the progression of something that's already started. You are already living eternally. Do not think of heaven as another life. Think of heaven as a continuation of the life that you have in Christ now. Different MO. The MO that Christ is teaching is an MO of a new creation, a new creature in Christ. God, the Holy Spirit, is working in us. Those of us that are Christ followers perfecting us and bringing us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He's teaching us and showing us how to live the Christ life now. Now, will heaven be better than now? Of course it will. Of course it will. We'll no longer experience this kind of pain and, and we'll no longer be in a fallen world. So it's going to be better. It's going to be better and we will see him face to face. Nothing could be better. But listen closely, because this is important. If you don't grow and transform to love the things that God blesses in us now, if you don't grow to love those things, if you don't grow to live and love the MO of the kingdom of heaven now, what makes you think you will want it when you get to heaven? You're being prepared for heaven. If you say, this is all too hard, this is all aspirational, maybe it happens. If you say, I don't really care about that or I'll work on that later, what makes you think you're going to enjoy a place where that is the MO of every creature? You've got to start living it now. You've got to start living it now. People are going to think you're weird. We're supposed to be aliens now. Not holding on to the things and the MOs of this world, but living the MO of the kingdom of heaven now. God showed us this when he set aside his people in Israel to live separately. And there were a lot of rules that were about being separate from the nations around them. They couldn't do it. Jesus Christ came and perfected all that. We are now in Christ, 
supposed to be aliens and strangers to the world. We're supposed to be weird. And I know for some of you, for some of us, being weird, <laughs> for some of you being weird is a piece of cake. I'll give you that. I will give you that. <laughs> All right. For some of you being weird is one of your biggest fears. One of your biggest fears. Some of you had parents who embarrassed you. You know what the best thing your parents could say when you were a teenager and your friends were around was? Nothing. <laughs> right? Nothing. Because if they said something, it might be cheesy or embarrassing because parents aren't cool. Except for me. I'm an amazingly cool parent. My kids tell me all the time. Super cool. I don't know what the rolling eyes thing is when they say it, but I, I think they're being honest. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be different in ways that make people think we're weird. We don't like that. But Jesus is going to show us that Christ followers will be weird to the world. Because their MO is upside down and ours is right side up. We have a different MO. We shine a bright light. And not everyone is going to like it. Not everyone is going to like it. The first blessing that we just read that Jesus tells us about in verse 3 is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it means the opposite of what the world tells you. That's what it means. There's a document uh, called the Humanist Manifesto. And it's signed by a bunch of people, Richard Dawkins and Oliver Stone, movie director, and uh, Eugenie Scott, who, who heads up the science, the National Science Center, and, and other famous people and so on. This is what it says as it begins, the Humanist Manifesto. It says this, humanism is a progressive philosophy of life that without supernaturalism affirms our ability and our responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good of humanity. Let me tell you what they're saying. Basically says that there's no God and that you have the ability to lead an ethical life that is personally fulfilling and that aspires to the greater good of humanity. Apparently they are not understanding the fact that we as humans living these ethical lives that we have the power to do have killed millions and millions and millions of people through war and crime and, and oppression. Maybe they don't understand that. Or maybe they don't understand the fact that words like ethical and the good of humanity have no real reasonable meaning without supernaturalism. In other words, words like morality and good and ethical only have real meaning if there's a God. Without a God, most philosophers would tell you everything is permissible. There is no right or wrong. Nevertheless, this is still a philosophy of many people. It relies on a couple of things. It relies on the idea that we know what is good and that we are able to do what is good and right on our own steam and that we're likely to do so. That we're likely to do so. It puts human beings where? In the place of God. It puts human beings in the place of God. It assumes human beings are self-sufficient. We run on our own power. We run on our own steam. We know what to do, and we can do it. Look, this is not new. It's not a new philosophy. It's a very old one. It's been around since the beginning. 
If you look at the philosophers thousands of years ago, Aristotle said, happiness belongs to the self-sufficient. Or Epicurus, self-sufficiency is the greatest of all wealth. And we have been buying this bull forever, for as long as human beings have existed. In the garden, Eve was tempted. Why? Because she thought she could be like God. And Adam followed her in her sin, thinking they could be like God. That they would know what's right or wrong, that they could be like him. And, we've, and, and people have been trying to put themselves in God's place ever since. Ever since chapter 3 of Genesis. According to uh, William Nicholson, he says this, self-sufficiency is the enemy of salvation. If you are self-sufficient, you have no need of God. If you have no need of God, you do not seek him. If you do not seek him, you will not find him. If we think we could be like God, if we think we don't need God, if we, if we think that, we won't seek him. And if we don't seek him, we won't find him. And thank God that he finds us. Because this is where every one of us has been. This is where every one of us wants to go. When we think we're self-sufficient, we are not poor in spirit. We think we're self-sufficient, we are not poor in spirit. So many people who feel that they are successful, who feel like they've got it figured out, who feel like they're in control, think they don't need God. This world is full of them. This town, Camus, is full of them. Full of people who are having success, right? They've got some money. Maybe the house is paid off. Kids are doing okay. You know, things are going pretty well. There's no major thing happening. And so when that's happening, they feel like, I don't need God. So they don't seek God. It's the way it is. They're proud in spirit, puffed up in spirit. They worship themselves and the power they think they have because of their so-called success. Because of the kind of success that the world says is good. Even Abraham Lincoln talked about the error of pride in self-sufficiency. This is what he said. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. And that's who we've become. That's who we've become as a culture. We think we've got it. People will tell you, they think Christianity is a crutch, right? They think, it's, they think it's something we need to lean on to help us get through, right? It's something for weak people. People who need God are weak. They're not self-sufficient. And they're absolutely right in one way. In one way, those people are absolutely right. Jesus is for weak people. Jesus is for people who need him. The only place they get it wrong is they're too prideful to see that they need him. They're too prideful to see that all people need him. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Get it? Vine, branches. Got to have that in order. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, we can do nothing without abiding in him. Are you, are you cool with that? Do you believe that? You believe that you can do nothing without him? Because if you really believe that, you're ready to do some things. 
You're ready to do some things if you really believe you can't do anything without him. But if you don't believe that, you're a prideful person. You're going to find out the hard way that Jesus tells the truth. Everybody who thinks that they're a branch who on their own can stay healthy and produce fruit that's not attached to a vine is delusional. Self-sufficiency is not the goal of life. It's the goal of a rebellious world. The world doesn't want to hear that. The world doesn't want to hear that. We love stories of people who have overcome incredible odds. We love the rags to riches story, right? We love the idea of strong people accomplishing great things. But a wise person knows that nothing is worth anything. Nothing is worth anything if it's done without Jesus. This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in himself is foolish, but whoever lives wisely will be kept safe. This is not new. The ideal of self-sufficiency has been around a long time, but the world's MO is trust yourself. Trust yourself. The power is in you, right? Believe in yourself. You can do it, right? It's you. There have been many women sitting pretty on their wealth or their power or their accomplishments for thousands of years, many women have, have sat there in that place and said to themselves, look what I have done. I don't need anybody. I did this. I'm powerful. I'm proud of it. And that is a sickening lie that they believe. And is the opposite of the MO of the kingdom. Proverbs also tells us this in 16:19. Better to be of a humble spirit, like poor in spirit, with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Our culture worships the proud. They worship the so-called winners of this world. God tells us it's better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. Better, better to be with, your, with people who are lowly and who are humble in spirit and who have nothing than to be counting money up with your proud buddies. One of those things is good and one of them is bad. We have to start where Jesus starts, okay? Where Jesus starts here, he says we have to be poor in spirit. And to understand that, we have to understand that we are morally broken. We are sinners. We are powerless to please God in ourselves. We cannot do it in ourselves. We have to look into the perfect mirror of the law. We've got to stare into the perfect mirror of the law and see our own brokenness. Recognize our complete need for the saving grace of Jesus. Jesus uh, told this parable. This is in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It says this. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Bad guy. Super bad guy. Sorry if you were for the IRS. This was a different time. 
the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. He's giving his resume to God now. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Which one are you? Don't give me your Sunday school answer. Search your heart. Which one are you? Are you the Pharisee who thinks you've got it all together? You looking down on the person who lives next door or the person in the seat next to you? Be honest with yourself. You think you're doing just fine? You think you're doing it yourself? Or are you like the tax collector who would not even believe that he, that he ought to look to heaven because he was so broken in his spirit, so humble in his spirit, and he's beating himself and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Are you crying out like that? Is that your heart? Is that where you are? I need your mercy. I'm nothing in myself. Or are you saying, yeah. fast twice a week, go to church every Sunday, I even help put chairs up. I own 72 essential oils. You're basically, you get in free, I think, after the 71st one, you get to heaven free. Where are you at? Are you looking at other people and saying, you know what, at least I'm not like that guy? That's what this Pharisee said. Thank you, you didn't make me like this sinner over here. You going, you coming home and you going, did you see so-and-so today? I think he's been drinking again. She's so-and-so, I think she might be pregnant. She's not married, is she? Blah, 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 blah. What is that? That's you looking down on other people, finding you a tax collector that you can say you're better than. Or are you saying, God, thank you for my salvation. I am a sinner in need of a savior. Which one is your heart? When you wake up in the morning, which one is your heart? Do you need Jesus or do you got it today? Tell you need some help. Tell the tire gets flat. Of course, hey, got some money in the bank. Call the tow truck. I got that too. I'll come to you, Lord, when I need something. Or is it, Lord, I can't breathe without you. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. One of those is poor in spirit and one of them is not. I would rather be broken and lowly and poor and persecuted and recognize my need for my God and be blessed by my God than be rich and powerful and famous and lie to myself that I was self-sufficient. That's where you have to be. You have to hate it. You have to hate the pride of spirit. You have to hate it. You have to say, Lord, don't let me. There's a prayer in, in Scripture somewhere. I didn't look it up, so I don't have the, 
The thing for you, I actually haven't memorized the whole thing yet. I'm working on it. Um, I'm not really working on memorizing the whole Bible. It would take too long. But there's this prayer that basically says, look, don't, don't make me so wealthy that I feel like I don't need you. And don't make me so poor that I go steal. Right? Keep me where I'm always dependent on you. That should be our prayer. Keep me where I'm always dependent on you. Don't give me all the desires that come to me because some of them aren't good for me. Instead, give me what I need to always be dependent on you. And you know what that is sometimes? Sickness. Debt. A difficult child. Oh, I guess that's been, sounds like that's been given to many of you. The Lord has blessed you. Keeps you poor in spirit, doesn't it? When you have to, have to go to God, you're going to be poor in spirit. Try to ask God to make it so that you will be poor in spirit without him having to create that in you. He knows that's what's best for you. But you don't want to get to the point where the only way you'll do it is in the worst situation. But thank God he accepts even that. That's how much he loves you. Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Okay, she didn't get it the first time. None, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. And so what do we need? Well, we need Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we were still without strength, not self-sufficient, without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. Without strength and ungodly. For scarcely will a righteous man for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his lo own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are people who literally do not think they are sinners or who don't think it's that big of a deal or who can find a tax collector somewhere to point out and say, I'm not that bad. That is not poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is to say, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need you. I need you. I need thee every hour, every moment, every second. You've heard it said that God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the scriptures. The truth is, God helps those who recognize they need his help. got to have the right heart attitude. You've got to have the right heart attitude. Look at your own heart. Is it humble? Is it soft? Do you see your need for God? Do you feel your need for God? Do you recognize that you can't do anything on your own? Are you there? Or do you see others as weak and you as strong? Fasting twice a week. Are you wake up, waking up every day and saying, I have nothing without you, God. I'll go nowhere without you. I'll do nothing without you. 
Because you're my Savior. You're my help in time of need. You're the one who I can put my trust in, not myself. Do you believe that without abiding in Jesus, you can do nothing? Or do you think you can pretty much do most things, right? It's like the Bart Simpson prayer. Thank you, God, for this food, but Dad paid for most of it, so I'm not really sure what this is about, right? Thank you, God, for whatever, but I'm pretty much got it figured out. Pretty much can do it myself. Jesus tells us, blessed, approved of God are the poor in spirit. And the world tells us that the rich and the powerful and the famous and the strong are blessed. That means, that means one thing. You can have the approval of the world or you can have the approval of God, but they're very different. They're very different. You can have the applause of a broken and dying culture applause you right into hell or you can have the kingdom of heaven now. You and I cannot possibly, cannot possibly hope to follow Christ in what's going to follow in the rest of the teachings he gives us in the scripture, in the Sermon on the Mount. We cannot possibly hope to follow them if we don't start here. That's why he started here. We got to start with poverty of spirit. We got to start by emptying ourselves of our pride and letting him fill us, letting him bless us and starting to live the kingdom of heaven now. Everything that follows requires you to be poor in spirit. Because if you are prideful in spirit and if you think you've got it figured out, then you're going to push back as Jesus is turning your world upside down. You've got to be empty. You've got to say, have mercy on me, a sinner. You ever done something wrong? You hurt somebody, you messed up at work, you messed up with your wife or your husband, you messed up somehow, and all you want is just, if they just forgive you, you'll never do it. Like, you would do anything. Cut off my hands, you know. I'll do anything to be right with you again. That's nothing. That's nothing compared to where we are with God prior to the grace of Christ. And we need to be like that every day. God, you have done. You have done what I can't even imagine. You have saved me. You have come to earth. God, born as a human being, walking earth as a man, and dying for me because I am a wretched sinner. I love you. You're it. That's poverty of spirit. I'm nothing. He's everything. I'm only anything through him. And in him, I'm a lot. Poverty of spirit is not, just so that we're really clear, poverty of spirit is not thinking that you're worthless. You have more worth than you could possibly know. Jesus died for you. Poverty of spirit is understanding that your worth is in and through him. Only in and through him. It's not your talent. It's not your righteousness. Your righteousness is filthy rags. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, It really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. 
And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.